we are just uh, maybe one or two sermons away from the end of John's Gospel at this point. Uh, I am going to read verses uh, 19 through the end of the chapter this morning. John 20, 19 through the end of the chapter. Give your attention to the reading of God's Word for His glory and for our edification. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Judeans, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he, slowed, he showed them his hands and sighed. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hand, in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. These are two stories that we have looked at in the not-too-distant past, and for that reason, uh, I'm going to take them together, the account of the disciples behind the locked door and the account of Thomas. Uh, John chapter uh, 20 is actually structured around three encounters with the resurrected Christ and, I think, three different emotions. Uh, you've got the encounter with Mary Magdalene, which revolves around her sorrow, you have this encounter with the disciples that revolves around their fear. And then you have the encounter with Thomas that revolves around his doubt, or I'll argue disillusionment. Uh, we looked at Mary last week, how Jesus called her by name and turned her sorrow into joy. And this week we want to look at the disciples and Thomas and see that the resurrected Christ addresses our fears and also that he addresses our discouragement. So the passage begins with the disciples behind a locked door. We read they're there for the fear of the Judean authorities. What are they afraid of? 
I think a number of things. Certainly fear of what the authorities uh, might do to them, that the people who killed Jesus will harm them also. Uh, Fear of the rejection, the scorn, the ostracism that could come from being rejected by their own community. Uh, You know, the alienation for being associated with this crucified insurgent, as it were. Uh, How about fear of facing their own failures, how they uh, fail to protect and stand beside the Lord And also fear of an uncertain future. What will happen now that Jesus is gone? Uh, I think all these fears reflect the condition of our lives. Fears about being hurt. Fears about being alone. Fears about being found out for who we really are. Fears about what will happen next. And so as a result, they have locked themselves behind closed doors in self-protection. Hiding is one of the natural responses to fear and shame. I sometimes wonder if I have really reckoned in my ministry with just how much hiding behind locked doors there really is in people's lives. We are experts at sealing off the doors and locking up more and more rooms, making sure no one can go into them, making sure people can't hurt us or discover who we are. We want to get behind that door and lock it and shut out the world. And that's where the disciples are. Don't forget they had heard the Easter tidings from Mary. I have seen the Lord, but they are still behind locked doors because that's what fear does. It keeps us from grasping the good news of Jesus' resurrection. Uh, The good news, of course, is not just that Jesus is raised, it's also that he is raised and comes looking for his fearful disciples. And no matter what we do, we can't lock him out. And so despite the locked doors, Jesus shows up and he stands in the midst of of the disciples. How does Jesus answer the disciples' fears? Uh, in a couple of different ways, maybe three ways, I think. The first is with his presence. He stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. It's something he actually says twice in the passage, once in verse 19 and again in verse 21. When Jesus appears, it's not with a rebuke, not with a condemnation, not with pointing out their guilt and failure. Dudes, where were you while I was on the cross? He comes to scared, guilty, traumatized disciples, and he speaks peace. Uh, I think we all feel a little traumatized at this point, after the last year and a half or so. Jesus' presence announces peace. The second thing that Jesus does to answer the disciples' fears is he shows them his hands and side, that his body still bears the marks of the crucifixion. And then we read, then the disciples were glad. So not just after they heard the words of peace, it was Jesus showing them his hands and side. 
Uh, I think it's interesting, I, I wonder if you think it's interesting, that the resurrection does not erase Jesus' wounds. Wouldn't it make more sense for Jesus to show up with his glorified body, fully healed, unmarred, radiating, uh, and demonstrating a complete victory over sin and death. Why does Jesus' body still bear the marks of the cross? Well, I think the wounds say something about his identity. That even as the risen Lord, he is still the one who entered into our sin and our suffering and was crucified for us. I think Jesus is saying, here is how you can have peace and not be afraid. Uh, I've secured peace. I have conquered death. How can you fear? How can you fear other people? How can you fear the future? How can you fear your own failures uh, if the greatest foe of all has been conquered? I think if we had the time... We could reflect a lot on these wounds, wounds that are redeemed rather than erased, because isn't that how God works? We see and we remember the pain, but because of what God has done, we are able to rejoice. Uh, Also, wounds that Jesus still bears right now in the presence of the Father which means, as one person put it, in the wounds of Jesus, the wounds of human life are never far from the heart of God. In the wounds of Jesus, the wounds of human life are never far from the heart of God. Just like Jesus' wounds, our wounds are not hidden from God's sight, and He is not unmindful of what we suffer and bear. Uh, so there's the presence of Jesus that answers the disciples' fears. There's uh, the wounds that answer the disciples' fears. But there's one other thing that Jesus gives the disciples to answer their fears, and it's mission. Verse 21, Jesus said to them, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And we read specifically what the mission is in verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness, it is withheld. Uh, I, I hope it doesn't need to be said. Jesus does not need us to forgive people's sins. Uh, he doesn't need us to complete his work on the cross. On the cross, he said, it is finished. And only God can forgive sins. So why would Jesus give us a mission to forgive sins? Well, I think in this context, it's clear that the ministry is not given primarily for Jesus' sake. It's given for our sakes. The world is a hostile and scary place. And Jesus calls his disciples not to retreat from it, but to go out into it. And so he's pushing his disciples out of the locked room, out of their fearful hearts, out of their wounded, self-protective hearts, and into the world. 
And that's what the message of forgiveness does. If we've received it and we have to offer it, it sends us out into the world. Is there someone you need to grant forgiveness to? I love the Lewis Smedes quote, To forgive is to set a prisoner free and then discover the prisoner was you. Uh, this is hard and scary. Uh, if, you think, if you're thinking to yourself, I can't do that. I can't go and forgive someone who's hurt me. Uh, you're, you're not wrong. You can't do it. Look at what Jesus does in verse 22. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, Forgiveness is not something that you create or muster up on your own. Forgiveness requires the work of a Savior who went to the cross, someone who was hurt more than you were hurt, and who was wronged more than you were wronged, and who forgives more than you forgive, and who rose to new life and gave that life to people who sinned against him and failed him. Uh, we, we don't produce forgiveness. We proclaim it. We participate in it, we extend it, and we share it by the ministry of the Spirit. And so the passage that starts with the disciples hiding in fear ends with Jesus sending them out into a world that can hurt them. Out of the locked room with a message of love and forgiveness and a power that is not their own. Uh, mission is the opposite uh, or the antidote to fear. Uh, by the way, I just have to note that what you have in these uh, verses right here is a little worship service. Uh, if you're paying attention, note, note the sequence. Jesus comes and stands in our midst. He greets us with his peace. We consider his wounds and he sends us out into the world. What is that? That is a liturgy. That is a worship service. Uh, it's a way of thinking about what we do every Sunday morning. We gather to be with Jesus. He's in our midst, right? We think, well, Dave is up front and everybody else is in the chairs. No, no. Jesus is in the middle and we are all around him. And he speaks his peace and he shows us his wounds and he sends us into the world. That's what we're doing this morning. Uh, so the ten disciples get behind the four walls and they lock the door. Uh, one disciple is missing. Uh, and Thomas is not locked behind the door. He leaves the four walls behind, but his heart is just as locked as the other disciples. So we often refer to him as doubting Thomas. Uh, I wonder if we shouldn't call him disappointed Thomas or disillusioned Thomas, or despairing Thomas. See how many great D letters there are. Discouraged Thomas. I could keep going, but I'll stop. Thomas has spent three years following Jesus. He put all of his hopes and trust in Jesus. He was ready to die for Jesus. But instead, he watched Jesus die. So what did all of Thomas's hope and trust and loyalty get him? 
nothing. Is this why he is not with the other ten disciples? Is this why he has gone off on his own? Uh, I wonder how many people are disappointed Thomases. We trusted that Jesus was going to work things out the way uh, we had written it for him. But it didn't go the way that we thought. We waited for and longed for God to do something we surely thought that he would do. But instead we watched that hope slowly suffocate and die like Jesus on the cross. How many people have walked away from the company of disciples out of disappointment or despair that God didn't do what they expected him to do? Thomas's response to loss is not fear. It is disillusionment. I think you can hear it in Thomas's response when the other disciples tell him they have seen the Lord. He says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hands into his side, I will never believe. Uh, I will never believe is not really the voice of skepticism. It's the voice of hurt. Thomas's hopes are dashed. He has, exe- he has accepted that it is over. He's trying to put it all behind him. He's never going to believe in this stuff again. Uh, I've said before that pastorally I often hear the voice of I will never believe. I will never believe that God will be good to me. I will never believe that I can trust people again. I will never believe that relationships or community are worth what you put into them. Uh, We like to call ourselves realists. We like to tell ourselves we're being down to earth and practical. uh, But really, it's disillusionment. No one wants to admit we just don't want to embrace faith because it's too hard to hope and then be disappointed again. So how does Jesus answer Thomas's despair? Well, it's actually very similar to the previous encounter. Uh, He shows up in the midst of his disciples. He speaks a word of peace. He shows his pierced hands and side. This time, though, he invites Thomas to examine and touch his wounds. And he also gently chastises Thomas. Don't be unbelieving, but believe. Uh, Thomas ignored the apostolic testimony, right? His ten friends who told him Jesus was alive. By the way, that's the power of despair. We listen to despair more than what is true. We listen to despair more than trustworthy, reliable testimony from God and other people. That's what despair does. Uh, And I love the balance here of what Jesus does in both inviting and admonishing Thomas. Jesus doesn't refuse Thomas's demand. He offers himself to Thomas, put your hand, put your finger in my hand, put your hand in my side. But he also gently rebukes Thomas. Uh, It is true, and there's a lot of talk about this today, you know, it's better to be authentic than it is to be artificial. Uh, We all admit the Christian life is not fake it till you make it, or at least we should all admit that. 
But it's also important to not commend what Jesus chastises. Oh, Thomas, so good for you uh, to be enlightened and be a critical thinker and have doubts. Isn't that wonderful? It is one thing to admit skepticism and despair. It is another thing to demand to be affirmed in these things. Do we want to be affirmed or do we want to be changed? Well, Thomas is changed. We never read about Thomas putting his hands in the nail marks or Jesus' side. We read that Thomas answered him, not touched and answered him, just that Thomas answered him. And seeing the risen Jesus sweeps away his doubts, sweeps away his demands, sweeps away his disillusionment, and out of his mouth comes one of the greatest Christological confessions of the Gospel of John, verse 28, My Lord and my God. And Thomas worships. Uh, What is the answer to discouragement? Uh, It's worship in the presence of Christ. So often people think, I'm not going to go to worship this morning. I'm too discouraged. I'll go when I feel the joy of the Lord. This is like saying, I'm not going to go to breakfast this morning. I'm too hungry. I'm going to wait until I feel more full. It is in the presence of the resurrected Christ that our discouragement becomes hope and trust and worship. And in response, Jesus offers Uh, this surprising blessing. Uh, It's not a blessing on those who have seen and believed. It is rather a blessing on those who have not seen and yet believed. Uh, Jesus says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Uh, So the question is, why is not seeing more blessed than Seeing, Wouldn't we all love to have this encounter with the risen Christ? Uh, and I've said before, I think the, this blessing that Jesus is giving says something about the nature of faith. That faith involves trust, and trust is a part of every meaningful relationship. Uh, you trust who that person is, even when you don't see them. Husbands who only trust their wives when they can see them or parents who only trust their kids when they are at home, do not have deep relationships. Because relationships that are shaped by faith and trust are always deeper and more loving than ones that demand proof at every moment. Uh, And God is seeking a relationship with us. And he has built that relationship on promises that we call covenants. And that require faith. And things that are true, whether we see them or not. Uh, You've heard the phrase, right, uh, seeing is believing. Uh, But biblically, it's actually the reverse. Believing is seeing. Believing in someone, trusting in someone, creates real sight and perception. Uh, If I am always doubting every person in my life, I'm not seeing things clearly. I'm living in a delusion. Believing in Jesus changes the way we see ourselves. It changes the way we see others. It changes the way we see the world. 
Uh, C.S. Lewis put it this way, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Uh, and this ties right in to verses 30 and 31 uh, that John wrote this gospel so that we could receive this blessing that he uh, now announces on those who have not yet seen but believed. Right? John says that these things were written uh, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Verse 31, he wrote to give us reasons to overcome fear and discouragement and believe in Jesus, not just once, but again and again and again. Uh, So this morning, I I just want to say to you, the empty tomb is true, whether we are standing in front of it or receive it via the apostolic witness. Uh, We are no less in Christ then when we fear or despair than when our faith is strong, because it's not about the strength of our faith. It's about the resurrection and the presence and the promise of Jesus. So the answer to the disciples' fear is the presence of Jesus and mission. The answer to Thomas's disappointment is the presence of Jesus and worship. If you are fearful this morning, there is a resurrected Christ. If you are discouraged this morning, there is a resurrected Christ. Worship him. Be part of his mission. He stands in our midst this morning and shows us his wounds. By believing in his name, we have real life. Amen? Let's pray together.